Good morning. It's probably worth mentioning this because we are now entering the uh, winter months, and some of you don't know the drill, so I'll go over it quickly before we get into the word. Uh, if you are wondering whether we're closed for inclement weather, uh, look out the window. If it's not raining or snowing, we're probably open. But in addition to that, you can check our website, and you can see that if we make a decision to cancel service, it's, it's going to be done pretty early, like 6.30 in the morning. So if it's, you know, you get up 7, 7.30, and things look good outside, and, and, and everything looks okay, uh, you know, the, and you check the website, we're fine. Uh, also, if you sign up for alerts on our website, you can put your email in there. We only use that for emergency alerts. You will get an email telling you if a service is canceled. So I just want to let you know about that. If you didn't know about that, please take advantage of that. Uh, but again, uh, we got to use a little common sense. And if you feel in your area it, you're apprehensive about coming out to a service because it is icy or snowy or rainy, which it's none of those things at the moment, thank God, if you did feel that way and you're scheduled to serve, just call us and let us know. Call your ministry leader. We'll work around it. We don't want anyone venturing out if you're anxious or nervous, okay? With that, let's open the word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that the weather held out and we're here together to worship you. And Lord, help us not to be fearful, but to be careful, to be aware and prepared for the inevitability that we will experience attacks. We will experience the enemy coming against us, and our spiritual enemy is very real. And we need to be in you, prepared to serve you with our whole hearts, committed to you, knowing that you'll work in and through our lives. And Lord, I pray that this morning you'd help us to not let any stronghold take root in our hearts, that when we do encounter spiritual enemies, we would be strong, that we would stand, that we would stand in the strength of the Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get started, I'm just going to look around and see that someone put water up here. Is that mine over here? Awesome. Going to need that. So, you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts and in chapter 19. And in Acts chapter 19, in where we left off last week, uh, we left off in, let's see, I think we were verse 8. Paul has now made it back to the city of Ephesus. You'll remember that he had addressed the Jews in the synagogue there and was extremely well received by them about a year earlier. And they wanted him to stay in Ephesus. He declined because he would be leaving soon. And he did promise them to return if it was the Lord's will to do so. Now, he did. He has returned about a year later. And it's obvious that God has a ministry for Paul in the city of Ephesus. He begins to address the Jews in the synagogue, proclaiming the word of God. In verse 8 we read, and I'll read this section, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, which is a reference to Christians. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall 
of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's incredible. That's awesome. Paul doesn't usually stay in a place that long, does he? But he addressed the Jews in the synagogue in Ephesus, boldly preaching the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in that synagogue for three months. Now, you've seen, we've seen as we've studied through the book of Acts, that Paul will go into a synagogue and sometimes not even make it a week. He was able to preach there for three whole months. And I've reminded you of this before. He was a a Pharisee at one time, and Paul, as a Pharisee, was able to walk into a synagogue and be given an opportunity to teach. The synagogues were established by Pharisees years earlier. So he had this ability to walk into a synagogue and be given as a former Pharisee, as a a former member of the Sanhedrin. He was given this place to be able to do that. So he took advantage of the opportunity he had. And he spoke, trying to persuade them from the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Paul always did that when he could. He went to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And there were Gentiles that attended the synagogue as well. But Paul was opposed by some of the Jews in the synagogue. Some, not all, some. They were obstinate. They stubbornly refused to believe the gospel. And they spoke out publicly against the church. And so, the Jewish leaders that were persecuting the church referred to the church as the way, and especially among the Jews. They were called Christians, which is a Greek word, Christ, They were called Christians in Antioch and then later in the Gentile churches. But among the Jews, they simply called them the way because they were a sect of Judaism. They were Jews who were following the way of Christ, but they spoke out against them. And this effectively prevented Paul from continuing to minister in the synagogue. He was shut down. they, They really didn't want him there anymore, but he got three months in. What he did was respond by leaving in protest. But he had been faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, you're not always going to be received. In fact, oftentimes you're going to be rejected. Many times you are going to find that people don't want to hear it anymore. They might listen for a while, but eventually they're either going to receive the gospel or they're going to reject the gospel. And I have no stats. I can't tell you what the stats would be in terms of the number of people that will receive and reject. But I can tell you that broad is the road that leads to destruction and many that go on it. And narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. So I think it's at least safe to assume that, sadly, the majority of people you share the gospel with are going to reject it. I wish that weren't true. But it is. And there will be a minority of people that will receive it, and praise God for that. Remember, though, and I want to remind you of this, you are responsible to preach the gospel. You are not responsible for the rejection of the gospel. Paul was responsible to preach the truth of the gospel to them, but he was not responsible for their rejection of the truth. Remember, the truth only needs to be presented simply, and as the power of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about last week, enters your life, works through your life, you're going to be able to share the truth, they're going to be convicted, and if they respond, 
praise God. If they reject, praise God. Not for the rejection, but for the the fact that they got to hear the gospel and were given an opportunity, and there's still time while they draw breath for them to respond to the truth that you have presented to them. I'm sure if we went around here this morning, there are many here who could tell you about individuals they've shared the gospel with, and 10, 20, 30 years later, those people responded to the truth. We never know how long it might take for someone to respond. But Paul is now out. And so as we read, he decided to no longer preach the gospels to to the Jews in this synagogue, and he went to another place. He proclaimed the word of God every day. Every day. Now, as I assume, in the synagogue, Paul was probably preaching on the Sabbath for three months. Okay? Probably that was the majority of the time he had. But he was sharing with the people there quite a bit as we read, as we've read, excuse me. He spoke boldly there for three months. But notice, it says there that he he took the disciples with him, as we read, and had discussions, did you notice, daily, daily, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So now he's gone from preaching the gospel perhaps once a week in the synagogue to preaching the gospel pretty much every day in a lecture hall to whoever will listen. A lecture hall was a large hall. It was a place where people could gather to hear whatever needed to be said. In this case, it was Paul preaching the gospel. Paul took the Jewish disciples with him when he left the synagogue. We're told that. Listen, Paul's heart was definitely for the Jews. He had learned to respect the Jews when they rejected the gospel. There was no point fighting it. And those Jews that believed were together with Gentiles as one body in Christ. In fact, later when Paul writes to the Ephesians from Rome, he stresses their oneness. He stresses the fact that Jews and Gentiles were one body that the wall had been broken down between the two. Why is this important? Because Paul, a former Pharisee, a member, once member of the Sanhedrin, a Jewish rabbi, when he established this church in Ephesus, didn't seek to create a messianic fellowship where the Jews got together and the Gentiles got together separately. They got together as one body. I love diversity. I love the fact that we don't have here a white church or a black church or an Asian church or a Hispanic church or an Italian church or a Jewish church or a Gentile church. We have the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I think what really works in that situation is, you know, there's so much talk about racism today. And the very definition of racism would be to separate people by their skin color or their ethnic background, right? And many people have observed that churches oftentimes, at least outwardly, project what some people interpret as racism. Now, I didn't say it was racism. But when all white people get together or all black people get together, people can interpret that, and maybe unfairly, as racism. But you know what concerns me? I mean, I grew up in the the 70s, 60s, and 70s. And I remember a time, thank God, in our nation where it was realized that we shouldn't be separating people by their skin color, their language group, their ethnic background. I remember that. And I remember the people who wanted segregation were racists. 
that the Klan wanted white and black people separate. Actually, white people separate from everybody. But the racists of today say things like, well, we need to have a separate place for this group of people with this skin color. They're the racists, and yet they're the ones promoting this idea that somehow certain races need to be separate in order to be equal. I don't know what happened to the message of the 60s and the 70s, which said that segregation was racism. You hear about people now on college campuses saying, well, we need a a, a dorm room for this minority group, so no white people in this dorm room. How is that not racist? I'm very concerned because somehow this crazy world has turned what was a good thing into a bad thing. And I know what the Bible says. It says, in the last days, they will call evil good and good evil. Listen, the best thing we can do is integrate. I'm all for it. I love the fact that if you're of one particular ethnic background or skin color and you're here this morning, you are not in a minority, nor are you in a majority. You are simply a member of the body of Christ. Now, that, we're very fortunate. Not all churches experience that level of diversity. Praise God, we do. That's a work of God. I have nothing to do with that. But, brothers and sisters, to divide ourselves at all as the body of Christ is dangerous. So I'm very much against this idea of us being homogenous. You know, oh, well, we like this, we like that. No, more than ever today, we need to be united as one. If you noticed, if you haven't noticed, we're being attacked on all sides. And attacking one another or separating from each other or assuming that, well, we don't like to worship with them. They're Calvinists or we don't like to worship with them. They like this style of worship. We need to get over that and love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I love that Paul set up a church in Ephesus that wasn't a Gentile church. It wasn't a Jewish church. It was a church. And he stayed there at this point just two years. Eventually, he would stay there three years. So as he's there ministering, I realized that Paul was well-received by Jews and Gentiles in this area of Asia. He was able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ there for two years until the account which we read next, but ultimately three years. And all of the Jews and Greeks in proconsular Asia, which is that area of modern-day Turkey, western Turkey today, all of them heard the word of the Lord. And it was at this time that the churches of Asia were founded. Churches like Laodicea, Heropolis, Colossae, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia. They're all in that area. And they were all started by a church in Ephesus that was a diverse church and a powerfully spiritual church. So, the Lord worked mightily through Paul in this city, again, for a total of three years. But at this point, we stop to to look at something that took place probably about the two-year mark. And we read in verses 11 through 20 that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. This is just awesome. Now, of course, some people have decided to take this and make this uh, a thing to make money off of. We used to call it the holy hanky. I'm not going to mention names, but there were a lot of these televangelists who would sell these holy hankies. And if you prayed and, you know, paid, paid and prayed, 
you could receive this holy hanky and your illnesses would be cured. How stupid. How shameful. How disgusting. But what happened here was a work of God's Spirit. It was just people exercising faith in Jesus Christ. That's all it is. But Paul did extraordinary miracles. More than are mentioned here, but, but so many were, were happening. <clears throat> the writer, Luke, just mentions this particular thing because it was so out of the ordinary. Paul was used to heal those who were sick, to cast out evil spirits. Now, of course, this wasn't always the case. Other cities may have lacked the faith. Other cities didn't want anything to do with Paul. But in Ephesus, Paul has really found his stride. In fact, Paul ministered about 18 months in Corinth. But his longest time of ministry was in Ephesus for three years. So you might even say this became Paul's home church. Now, God works in and through us by faith in him. Amen? By faith. Not in holy hankies or aprons. No, God doesn't work through inanimate objects. He works in the hearts of people by faith. And they weren't putting their faith in an inanimate object. They were putting their faith in the God of Paul. And this was a point of contact. Now, I don't know why, but sometimes God works through a point of contact. You've seen the apostles. You've seen Jesus. They heal. Sometimes they lay hands. Sometimes they don't. There isn't a method or a formula to being healed. It's by faith that we're healed. Amen? In this particular case, there were people who couldn't get to Paul and Others just brought something that Paul had touched and said, Paul touched this. And their faith in what God could do through Paul was released through making contact with an inanimate object. But make no mistake about it, the inanimate object was not the issue. But I'm also going to tell you why the people thought this way. As we get through today's study, you're going to see there was a reason why the people of Ephesus, who were extremely superstitious, had no problem believing in a point of contact for their faith. They were very superstitious people in that city. And as we get through this, you'll see that they were really fond of amulets. They were really fond of scrolls and charms and spells. And there were a lot of evil spirits in that city. They had the Temple of Artemis or Diana. There was a lot of evil in that city. But the people had been conditioned to believe in spirits... And to believe that God, the Holy Spirit, could work through a point of contact. So you understand they were conditioned to think this way. But they put their faith in God. And because they put their faith in God, God met them where they were. That will always happen in your life. God will meet you where you're at. Aren't you glad? You know, I remember when I first became a Christian, there were a lot of people in my family and, and around me who would do the sign of the cross. Remember, some of you guys come from a background, sign of the cross, you pass a church or cemetery, whatever. And they would do that. And, you know, some people would make fun of them. And I always felt God meets you where you're at. If you're driving past a church and you've been conditioned to do the sign of the cross, I got to believe if it's done in sincerity, not that that's necessarily a thing you want to do or a necessary thing, but you don't think God sees your heart? If somebody's driving past the church and they do the sign of the cross, what are they saying? They want to be blessed by Christ. You think God's going to say, well, I don't do that. I'm not a Catholic. What do you think God is going to do? God is going to meet you where you're at, even if where you're at is a little wacky. And I'm not saying doing the sign of the cross is wacky. 
Even if what you believe is a little strange, if you cry out to God, God is going to meet you where you're at. God loves you, amen? You show faith in Jesus Christ, even if it seems a little bizarre, like these napkins and these aprons and handkerchiefs. You cry out to God. You don't think God is going to meet you where you're at? The people were very superstitious, but God didn't let that or would never allow that to get in the way of a sincere expression of faith. I think of some of the things I believed when I first became a Christian. They weren't true. But God is true, and every man a liar. So I love that God loves us just the way we are. But he loves us far too well to leave us like that. So he continues to work in our lives. And we begin to learn, oh, I don't need a holy hanky to get healed. I just need to ask God. I don't even need the pastor to lay hands on me. I don't need to fall over. I just need God. And that's what they found out. So, some people, they, they were healed. The sick and possessed were healed. And delivered through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some took these handkerchiefs and and aprons to those in need. Think about this for a minute. You have somebody you love who can't come out, and you're worried about them. You're concerned about them, right? And you see this man healing the sick, and he puts an apron or a napkin down, and you say, I'm going to take that and bring that. Because you're superstitious, you think, if I bring that, then my friend will be healed. But do you see the heart? Can you get past the head for a minute and just see the heart? Someone cared enough to do something that might seem a little weird, Because they love that person. They go and they tell them, this is the God that Paul's preaching. He can heal, and the person gets healed. It's because love is the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? See, I can look past things I don't agree with to see how God may work by love. So, this point of contact allowed them to release their faith in God. You know, I believe God does bring us to a place of faith. And sometimes it is a point of contact. Sometimes it is someone laying their hand on your shoulder and praying for you. Sometimes it is a person coming out to church and being in a worship service. That's a point of contact for your faith, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what happened here. They received gifts of faith, healing, miracles, all talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. But you know the Lord did not do extraordinary miracles through the Jews that rejected Christ. He didn't. He did it among the church because they received Jesus Christ, but the Jews that rejected Paul, chased him out of the synagogue, those Jews did not experience the extraordinary miracles through Paul that others did because there was no faith. Look at verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And before we get into the next account, just in verse 13, listen, what we're learning here is that there were Jews in Ephesus who went around driving out evil spirits. This was a very wicked place with a lot of spiritism and and, and, and evil occultism, we're going to see in a minute. And the Jews that were there did not practice the occult. So there were exorcists in this city because there were so many evil spirits, they kind of made a living going around chasing out evil spirits, praying for evil spirits to be cast out of people. 
Paul comes into town and over several years goes around through the power of Jesus Christ casting out demons. And these guys, they think, oh, that's it. We need to invoke the name. Now, not to get into spiritism, but the invocation of a name is very important in the occult. And so they assume, well, they're using the name of Jesus. Let's use the name of Jesus as if that's going to work. It didn't work. It didn't work. Now, remember Jesus had questioned the Pharisees' authority to drive out demons in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. They tried, but Jesus accomplished it. They would attempt to drive out demons out of unhealthy people through exorcism, whether they had a demon or not. This is what they would do. They claimed that they had the Lord's authority to do so, but they were unsuccessful, and Jesus rebuked them. He, he taught them the correct teaching on the subject, but they didn't want anything to do with Jesus, and so they couldn't do what Jesus did. But Jesus certainly has and had the authority over demons that they claim to have. And in Jesus Christ, we know we have that same authority in Jesus Christ, just like Paul had it. It doesn't mean that we start becoming ghostbusters and going out looking for demons. That would be weird and really not too smart. But there were Jews in Ephesus who went around driving out evil spirits. Now, they were manipulative deceivers looking to make a name for themselves. They would use scripture and superstition to influence and take advantage of others. Just like any single place you drive past that does tarot card reading, palm reading, horoscopes, any of the occult practices that we're familiar with, hopefully not too familiar with, predicting the future, seances, all those types of things, those people are either just trying to rip you off or trying to rip you off and trying to influence you spiritually. That I can tell you. So, they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over the demon possessed, but they don't know Jesus. They just know the name. They heard Paul use the name. They didn't know the Lord Jesus whom Paul preached, and they clearly didn't have the Lord's authority to drive out demons. So what Luke does is he gives us one, and it becomes kind of comical, One example of the many that must have happened in the city of Ephesus during this time. We read in verse 14, seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And on one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man, who was obviously doing the speaking, the demon threw him. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. Seven sons of Siva, all overpowered by one man. He gave them such a beating, and if you're in Jersey, such a beating, that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Wow. Now, you know, the thing is, when you read that, you think to yourself, You just, you can't play games with spiritual things. You don't go out looking for it. But when you encounter it in the name of Jesus, you deal with it appropriately. But just understand, you you got no power. These guys, these jokers, these these con men decided, oh, that's the secret password. Just say it in the name of Jesus. Like people who say, I want a new car in the name of Jesus. 
I cast out the demon in the name of Jesus. Like that's going to be anything. Like that's going to do anything. That's as silly as the holy hanky. What the seven sons of Siva thought was that they could use the name of Jesus and exercise power in their own lives. And it doesn't work that way. Now, their father was a Jewish chief priest, which would have given them tremendous influence. And they tried to invoke the name of Jesus over the demon-possessed. Listen, do you know Jesus? Say amen. Amen. Say amen again. If you know the Lord Jesus, and you encounter some spiritual situation, or you're praying for someone to be healed, and you say, in the name of Jesus, that is the Jesus that lives in you by faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit. You have nothing to fear. You know, it amazes me. People are afraid of everything these days. I just this morning haphazardly coined a term. I call it COVIDism. We were talking, I said, this COVIDism, I don't even know where it came from. It's to be afraid of everything. The news says the weather might be bad. We can't go out. Oh, well, you know, you might get sick. Oh, we can't go out. Why is no one saying there are demons out there? Be careful. I mean... If you want to be a little concerned about something, if you're looking for something to be anxious about, and I don't suggest you should be, are you more concerned about slippery road conditions or demons? I, I have to be honest. I think Christians are missing the point here. We are up against an enemy that is not flesh and blood. You read the news and you say, oh, I can't believe that moron said that. I notice I didn't say which moron. I don't have to. There's so many of them. <laughs> I can't believe he, she said that, did that, is, is suggesting we do that. And you know, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's almost as if they're trying to destroy the country. Uh-huh. Well, why would they do that? It makes no sense. Not to quote Dana Carvey. Could it be Satan? Listen, I think we really do need to take a step back and say, where is all of this stuff coming from? If you're feeling like me, that every time you get together with friends, you need a support group to talk through the nuttiness that we're dealing with right now in our world, then you understand what I'm saying. Take a step back, roll it back, and just look at it objectively. We are dealing with spiritism. We are dealing with evil spirits. We are dealing with demon-possessed politicians. I know. You're thinking, Tim really went off the rails. (laughs) But nothing else makes any sense. Why would you do some of the things and say some of the things these people do and say? Unless you're a sock puppet for Satan. See, I've stopped trying to make any sense of it. There is no sense. It is simply demonic. So what do I do? I pray in the name of Jesus. Because I can pray that way. You, if you know Jesus, can pray that way. So stop trying to figure it all out. It doesn't make any sense. It's not going to make any sense. Except when you put it in perspective and see it for what it is. But here's the good news. We're not the seven sons of Siva. 
We do have the power in Jesus' name to rebuke demons and devils. We do have the strength in Jesus to change things. Oh, it's not our strength. It's not us doing the changing. It's him working through our lives to bring about change. The good news is you need to get the enemy on your turf. And when you are filled with the Spirit of God, in the name of Jesus, he's a defeated foe. That's what we're talking about this morning. The seven sons of Siva. Well, they approached things in the flesh, obviously. They didn't know the Lord. They're rebuked by this evil spirit who knew about Paul, who knew about Jesus, but didn't know about them. They thought their words alone would protect them from evil spirits. Well, the evil spirit did not recognize their claim to the Lord's authority. It recognized Jesus' authority and that Paul had that same authority, but they did not have that authority. Listen, we also have that same authority. I want you to know that. Say amen if you know that this morning. You have the authority in Jesus over the spiritual realm. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the blood shed on that cross, you have that same authority that Paul had. But apart from that authority, you have no protection against evil spirits. So if you want to be afraid of something, if you're really looking to be scared, I suggest that this might be something to be concerned about. And if you don't know Jesus, be afraid. Be very afraid. So what do you do? Come to Jesus and you have nothing to fear. Because anyone in Jesus Christ has the authority over these things. If you are not in Jesus Christ this morning, the Bible says he takes people like that captive to do his will. Now I understand the morons and why they say the things they do. They are sock puppets for Satan. So, everything begins to come into focus now. I begin to understand the world I'm living in through spiritual eyes. And it will change the way I live and the things I say and the way I pray. And I can be victorious and not afraid. Because I know that he that lives in me is greater than he that is in them and in the world. Scripture tells me that. Okay. Now the man who is possessed by the evil spirit, he's the one speaking, although this spirit is speaking through him. But he gave these seven guys a brutal beating. Now I watch martial arts movies. I do, because I practice martial arts. And they're always really fake, okay? But this wasn't fake. This guy took out seven sons of Siva. And listen, evil spirits can possess humans. They can possess animals. Any cat owners here? Here's what I know. When Jesus encountered the demoniac among the Gadarenes... The demon said, send this into the herd of swine. And they did go into the herds of swine, right? So they can possess animals. They can possess people. Demons are very real. It doesn't mean you have to live in fear. But they are very real. They're able to empower their hosts with supernatural strength. I call this supernatural strength. So what do you do? Stay home? Hide? No. In the power of Jesus Christ, you venture out to preach the gospel like Paul. 
But just don't pretend. Just don't play games like the seven sons of Siva. Listen, the name of the Lord, as a result of these experiences, was held in high honor by the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus. Oh, you can imagine. Look at verses 17 through 20. When this, what we just talked about, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. Now, that's a godly fear or reverence, right? And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Take your day's wage and multiply it by 50,000. How much do you make a day? Multiply it by 50,000. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. You see, this can be the end of those demonic forces. When we're in conflict and we in Jesus Christ proclaim the victory, the enemy can be defeated. I'm tired of hearing Christians tell me that all is lost. We have a spiritual enemy, which means we can win a spiritual battle. I have not given up hope. I'm still very optimistic because my God is greater than demons. My God is greater than the enemy. Oh, but Pastor Tim, this is the end. The next is the mark of the beast and we're all going to be beheaded. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. I'm old enough to remember 1979. Those of you who were around then, you remember. We felt like America was done. Well, Ronald Reagan came along. Listen, listen, listen. Don't give up hope on our country or our culture. Pray in the name of Jesus for the enemies of God and his people to be defeated. Pray that way. Recognize the enemy for who he is. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. There's a stronghold in our nation right now. Makes me think of D-Day. That was a stronghold. The Battle of Normandy was a stronghold. But the day was won by the Allied troops. And the war ultimately won. It pivoted on that point when the troops entered Normandy and took the beach. Listen, brothers and sisters, I talked about this on Wednesday night. It's time for us to have courage. It's time for us to be brave in the spirit to step out and start praying with power. Well, this city got turned around. In fact, the whole area of Asia, this whole area of proconsular Asia got turned around. And it was a good thing. The seven sons of Siva's encounter with the evil spirit seized them all with fear. And this caused those who believed in Jesus to confess their evil deeds before God. Brothers and sisters, that, what, that is exactly what needs to happen in our culture. People need to start not making excuses and demanding pronoun usage. They need to start standing up and confessing their sins before God. And that's only going to happen if we pray the way that we need to pray. That people's hearts become so convicted that no one has to tell them that the way they're living is wrong. That they stand up and say, I'm living in the way that is wrong. 
And I'm repenting of my sexual sin. I'm repenting of all of this nonsense. I'm no longer confused about my gender or my identity because I know who I am in Jesus Christ. That's how you defeat this agenda. Oh, brothers and sisters, we got to get busy. Busy praying. Well, all these people start to confess their evil deeds. Now, Ephesus was famous for a lot of things, but it was famous for charms and spells. I mentioned this before. They were called the Ephesian letters. They promised, they were amulets, basically. They promised safety on a journey. They promised children to the childless. They promised success in love and also in business. They were called the Ephesian letters. And people came from all over the world to buy these scrolls, and they wore them around their necks as amulets. Those that practiced sorcery publicly burned those amulets. Very expensive amulets. They burned their scrolls containing these charms and spells. They turned their back on the way of spiritism, but they made a choice because they saw the power of Jesus Christ defeat the enemy. These scrolls were extremely valuable. As I said, 50,000 days wages. The word of the Lord spread widely and powerfully throughout those living in Ephesus. And all of this happened because Paul was faithful to do what he was called to do. Well, then we read that after all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. Now, it's going to be a little while before he actually gets there, but this is when he makes the decision. He says, passing through Macedonia, which is northern Greece, and Achaia, which is southern Greece, after I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. And he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, across the Aegean Sea to Greece, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Ended up staying probably about another year. So for three years, he's preparing now to head back to Jerusalem. This is his third and final missionary journey. But before he heads back, he's going to go through Greece. But he spent and will spend three years in Ephesus. Paul is doing something else that we find out about in 2 Corinthians. He was planning to receive an offering from the Greek churches for the church in Jerusalem. They had fallen on hard times and they needed help. So he did a missionary offering and he he took the offering from the Greek churches and, and was ultimately going to present it to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. It was at this time in 57 AD that he wrote his first epistle to the Corinthians while he's there in Ephesus. And he sent this letter by the hand of Titus to correct the liberalism in the Corinthian church. He was also determined to travel to Rome. We know he ultimately will, but after he traveled to Jerusalem. Paul sent Timothy and Erastus ahead of him to Macedonia while he stayed there. He had helpers. He had people he's working with. He sends them out. Now, of course, Timothy had been recruited during Paul's second missionary journey, about 50 to 52 AD. He had stayed with Silas in Corinth and uh, had ministered there. He had since traveled to Ephesus to join Paul in the ministry within the last three years. And then we know Erastus was probably recruited by Timothy while he was ministering in Corinth. So you see how the gospel gets shared from one person to the next? That's the way it's supposed to work. Discipleship. Erastus was a trusted disciple from Corinth. He was Timothy's traveling companion, and he no doubt traveled with Timothy from Corinth to Ephesus. By the way, he's mentioned later on as traveling to Corinth with Paul before his second imprisonment. So he sends trusted people ahead, finishes the ministry where he's at, knowing that God had done a mighty work through the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. 
close us with the last song. Actually, I think it's just going to be Pastor Russ. The point of today's message is a number of things. There are a number of lessons in our text, but I don't think you can miss the point that if you're looking at the world today and you've lost hope, how do you think Paul must have felt going to Ephesus? You have the temple of Artemis or Diana, one of the wonders of the ancient world. You have people so caught up in spiritualism and demonic activity in the occult that they spend their life savings on scrolls to protect them. They have these scrolls hanging around their neck thinking, oh, this will protect me. They're putting their trust, if you can imagine, in a scroll hanging around their neck. It's hard to imagine that today, right? People putting their trust in something hanging around their neck. We're putting our trust in things and not in the mighty God. I'm not saying you shouldn't be careful, but you should be prayerful. Brothers and sisters, we have this tremendous opportunity by the power of Jesus Christ to defeat the enemy. Just like Paul went into Ephesus, the end result was those people who were all caught up in all that spiritual nonsense, they repented. Paul didn't make them repent. God convicted them through the power of the Holy Spirit. They saw God work in the lives of others. And they were so into these amulets that even handkerchiefs and things were a point of contact for them. They were used to that. I have this, I have this magic amulet. Nothing bad can happen to me. But they took that ridiculous superstition, put it down and turned it to faith. And whether they grabbed Paul's apron or handkerchief, they held on to Jesus Christ and put their faith in him and their lives changed and they repented of their sins and no one had to tell them that what they were doing was wrong. We're not going to argue people into the kingdom. It's just not going to work. We need to pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray for our culture, we pray for our nation, we pray for our co-workers and our classmates our loved ones, our family members, all those that we know who are clearly under the influence of spirits. Clearly. They wouldn't believe some of the things that they believe unless they were influenced in this way. We can see it, but rather than hating them and calling them names, Lord, may we pray for them. Lord, we need a move of your spirit so that, like in Ephesus in our country today, people would be in awe and amazed and hold the name of Jesus Christ in high honor because his people actually, in the name of Jesus, and by that authority, took back the culture. Lord, we ask for this anointing and this power in you, the power of the Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.